as Luke records it for us, of the, the history of the early church. And as we've been looking the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the, at the ministry that Peter has been involved in. And as we finished chapter 11 last week, we looked at how the church is now spreading and taking, in particular, in this area of Antioch and how the church continues to spread. And as we Look at chapter 12 now, beginning in verse 1. It says, now about that time. And the time that is being referenced to there is referenced to a couple of verses earlier in chapter 11 of a famine that was prophesied that is now in the land. About that time, Herod, the king, laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews... He proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. We, as we begin to study and, and look at chapter 12 here today, we're going to see a, a, a great story that takes place. It starts off rather ominously as we see here, but we're going to see as we weave through this uh, uh, a theme that I want to keep referencing back to, and that's the sovereignty of God. The, the hand, the sovereign hand of God that is, that is working and active throughout our lives, throughout all eternity. God is sovereign, guys, and God is in absolute control. And there's certain, there's certain truths that we can hold on to because we know that's the fact. And even as we look at this now, we see a man, his name is Herod. He's the king uh, over, the, over Israel at the time. This is Herod Agrippa the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who ordered the execution of all of the babies that were born at the time Jesus was born. You know, he wanted to make sure he heard that the Messiah had, had, had come, so he was trying to wipe out the, 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 king that would, would, the king of the Jews that would rise up. He ordered the execution of all of the, the babies. He's the nephew, this Herod Agrippa, the nephew of Herod Antipas. He's the one who ordered that John the Baptist be beheaded. The Herods weren't, uh, weren't real warm, fuzzy people. <laughs> they had, a, they had a, a reputation, if you would, of, of don't cross me. They ruled very, very harshly. This Herod Agrippa also grew up in Rome. His childhood friends were Caligula and Claudius that would grow up to be emperors. Claudius is mentioned even a couple of verses earlier in chapter 11. But... Herod Agrippa now having this connection in Rome and having favor in Rome because of friendships there also desired favor in Israel. The problem with that, again, is not only the history of his family, the Herods before him, but also the history of their family line going all the way back to Esau. You see, they were Edomites. And Jewish, tr tr Jewish people that had descended from Jacob, they resented the fact that a descendant of Esau was ruling over them. So Herod, in trying to appease and trying to earn favor with the Jewish people, starts to persecute the church. He sees an avenue in. The Jewish leaders hating and coming against the church. He says, all right, here's what I can do. I can come alongside them. I can do some things with them. He starts ordering the persecution of the church. And we see here in verse 2, the martyrdom of the first apostle. James, the brother of John, is put to death with the sword. One of the 12 disciples here early on in the history of the church 
is executed because of his faith, because of his stand for Jesus Christ as Lord. We see here also that when Herod sees that it pleases the Jews, that that they're excited, they're happy about this fact, he looks to go even further and arrest Peter and bring him under the same judgment. But notice it says that it was during the days of unleavened bread. The the days of unleavened bread, this was a, a, a... in, in the Jewish culture leading up to Passover. This was one of the things commanded by God. And what they did during this time was physically removed all of the leaven from their house. Now, that was physically, but symbolically, the Lord always intended that to point to getting the sin out of our lives, examining our lives. And I want to just highlight this because of the hypocrisy that's involved here. This is going on during the, this, this festival of unleavened bread when we're supposed to be examining ourselves before God, yet Herod here is trying to be politically correct, trying to get along with the, with the world around him, missing again the entirety. And while this is a graphic example, guys, we have to, we have to examine our own lives and in our own walks, and there's only one standard by which we are measured, and that's God's standard. That is the word of God, having our lives examined by the word of God instead of what's popular with the world. The world will tell you, well, that was, that was then. Times have changed, but God has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I don't know about you, but I like the, that fact that God doesn't change. His standard doesn't change. He never changes it's hard to hit a moving target. <laughs> but when we know that, it, that what the Lord says and what he means and, and what it gives to us in his word, and that's where we have to be so careful that we don't say, you know what, I'm okay because this is where the world is going. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, search me, O God, you search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Guys, there's a lot of ways out there. But there's only one everlasting way. And that, again, is where we need to continually bring ourselves. And so we see here Herod during this time, he has Peter arrested. Verse 4, when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. And we're going to see in just a, in a few verses that he was intending to bring him out before the people and have him executed. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. This this four groups of soldiers that is outlined here, four groups of four soldiers. That's what the literally means here. They were on three-hour shifts. Two of the soldiers were chained to Peter in his cell, and two of them were placed on guard outside of the cell door. They wanted to make sure that a repeat of chapter 5 doesn't take place, where they go get them the next day, they go to the prison cell to get them the next day, and they're gone. And then they find him in the temple doing exactly what they told him not to be doing. Herod wants to make sure that this doesn't happen. And I think this is interesting. This is an important word, words that we can sometimes overlook. How many of you remember Schoolhouse Rock when you were a kid growing up watching the cartoons, right? 
And, and remember that one, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Yeah, yeah, right on. That's cool. Isn't that awesome how you remember those things? I, never, I would have never known what a conjunction was except for that, hooking up words and phrases in closet, right? Well, we have, to, we have to look at this because there's an important word that can be overlooked. When I was sharing this with somebody earlier this week, they said, so that's important? Yeah. Yeah, it's important. Look at this. And, and I, I'm going to say, so Peter was in prison, but prayer for him. But is a conjunction. And the definition of but is this. Conjunc a conjunction used to introduce something contrasting with what was already mentioned. It's in direct contrast to what has already been said. Many times after a message, I'll be out front and, and after service out front and people come out and say, man, Pastor Brett, that was, that was a really great message, but <laughs> everything that's already been said gets pushed off to the side because now we're going to focus on the but. And you know what? There's good buts and there's bad buts. There, there are, there's, 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 there's the, the, the bad buts even in the Bible where it talks about the kings as we're looking in the Old Testament and we're looking through and we're looking at the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Many of them were good kings. But as it is described, it says, they, they sought after the ways of the Lord, but. It says Asa was a good king, but he didn't eliminate all the high places. Guys, when it comes to serving the Lord, we don't want any of those buts. And I, I don't want to stand before the Lord someday and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But, <laughs> I, I, no, no bad buts. But there's some really good buts. Like Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's a great but. That but cancels out the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It stands in direct contrast with that. And here we see another one. Peter's situation is hopeless. He's chained to two Roman guards. There's two Roman guards stationed outside of his cell. But prayer. But prayer. The church was lifting Peter up, was lifting this entire situation up in prayer. Guys, never underestimate the power of prayer. We have the king of the universe sitting on his throne, beckoning us to come and pray, to bring our prayers before him. Never underestimate the power of personal prayer or corporate prayer. Guys, a praying church can change the world. We see that outlined over and over in the book of Acts. He's, he's in this hopeless situation, but prayer. Look at verse 6. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two guards bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. The day before, he's going to face trial and probable execution. What's he doing? Sleeping. I love that. That is just, I, I have that underlined in orange. Peter was sleeping. 
And guys, here's the first one I want to point out. God, as our sovereign king and ruler of the universe, he is our comforter. We can have comfort regardless of what we're facing because he's sovereign. If he wasn't in control of everything, we couldn't have comfort. And, and there's also this interesting peace as we look at this. He has total peace. We're going to see he's not just sleeping. He's like zonked out cold sleeping. Look, Philippians 4 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice again an important small word, a conjunction in that statement, and. Different than but, and is a conjunction that's used to connect words or sentences that are to be taken jointly. You bring them together. It brings them together hand in hand. That's what and does. And notice it says, bring everything to the Lord in prayer and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. They're praying as a church. No doubt Peter was praying, Lord, your will be done. I'm in this situation, and, and whatever the outcome is, I'm, I place my hands and my trust totally in you. <laughs> Total peace. Guys, prayer and peace go hand in hand. And the peace of God by the way, not just the peace of man or the, the peace that we all try, you know, the peace of the world, you know. No, the peace of God that, as Paul tells us, surpasses understanding. It doesn't make sense that the night before you're going to die, you're sleeping. The peace of the Lord that Jesus spoke of when he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. My peace. I want the peace of Jesus. How about you? I want the peace that would allow me to sleep in a boat when the waves are crashing over and everybody else is freaking out. That's what happened. Jesus sent his disciples out, remember, and they, and they were in a boat together. They get out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and this huge storm comes up. All the disciples are panicking. Jesus is asleep. Guys, if Jesus isn't freaking out, we shouldn't be freaking out. I give you total permission. Jesus starts freaking out. We all need to start freaking out. <laughs> but his peace is what he gives us. His peace. Our natural reaction in our flesh is to fear when trouble arises. But the supernatural reaction is to have rest and peace no matter what the storm is going on around us. And that peace doesn't come because we know the end is going to be, you know, we're going to get through this thing or th that it's going to just disappear, that we're not going to have any troubles, we're not going to have any problems. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. He follows it up with saying, in the world you will have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Courage, peace, rest in the midst of trial. Verse 7 says, and behold, Peter's sleeping between these two guards, and behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. 
And the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And when he went out and continued to follow, and he did not know where he, where, what was being done by the angel was real, but thought it was, he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me. From, from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Here we see, and I love this, another example. Again, God's sovereign hand, because he is sovereign, he is not only our comforter, he's our deliverer. He has absolute control. King Herod said, I'll fix them. They ain't getting out of this mess. I'm going to chain them to two guards, and I'm going to put two guards right outside. God says, seriously? (laughs) And I love this again. This underscores the fact that how, how peaceful Peter is. An angel shows up in the cell. It tells us a bright light. Wham, it's pitch black in the cell, right? It's nighttime. Boom, an angel appears, lights up the whole cell. Peter's still sawing logs. The angel has to hit him to wake him up. Get up, Peter. Get up. And the chains will up. And so he goes, get up. So he gets up. And you, have you ever been woken up from a sleep like that where you're like totally out? I, my son, God bless him, Zach. And he hates when I do this. So use him as an illustration. But when he gets up in the morning, there's they're not much happening for a while up here. I mean, it's just like... It's like, all right, dude, come on, come on, get up, get up. And he'll just walk out in his underwear. No, dude, put your clothes on. <laughs> get your shoes on. You know, I just see this playing out here with, with Peter. He's like totally blown away. What's going on? The angel giving him specific instructions. But notice he's following those instructions. None of this makes sense to Peter at the beginning. But you have to do as you're directed. As, as we follow these things that the Lord leads us in that don't make sense to us at first. We see even that it didn't make sense to Peter even as he's going. He thought he was seeing a vision. But he was obedient. When he followed the directions, even as simple as they were, he follows the direction. God alone can do the extraordinary, but oftentimes he leaves the ordinary up to us. Put your shoes on. It's cold outside. Put your coat on. And he continued to follow even though he didn't completely understand what was going on. And then the next scene, as we see, they're they're leaving and they they get the chains are off. Okay, those guys are taken care of. Walk past the other two. And then they're coming up to the iron gate. Peter's not saying, what are we going to do when we get to the gate? We should have grabbed the key from the soldier before we get. What are we going to do? He just kept following. And then all of a sudden the gate just opens. How much time do we waste worrying about the iron gates that might be ahead? Worrying about what are we going to do when we get to that point? I, I see you working here, God, but man, there's an iron gate up there. I think we need to go this way. We, we, need, to, we need to turn around and get the key from back there. And, and the Lord is saying, no, 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 just keep following me. Jesus, early on, in his ministry with his disciples and many listening, said, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? 
For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Your heavenly Father. Here we see again the sovereign king of the universe is our Father and our provider. He is the one who knows what we need and provides for us. Do you understand that that's the relationship we have with God? If you're a believer here today, he's your father. He's your heavenly father. And I love that illustration and the truth that is in that. Because as children of his, we're not supposed to worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, all of that stuff. It, my, my kids, I mean, I, they never worry if they're going to eat. Sometimes they worry about what they're going to eat because when we're, when we're on our diet and we're sticking, you know, but they never worry about if they're going to eat. There's always, there's food. And so often, though, we spend so much time worrying about the ifs. What if, what if, what if, what if? Guys, most of the stuff we worry about never takes place. You realize that? Most of the energy that we expend worrying about stuff that most likely won't take place, what if we took all of that energy and said, God, I want your will to be done. I want, I want whatever it is that you want, Lord. Instead of, instead of getting all caught up in all of these other things, your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then his promise is that he'll take care of those other things. It's interesting when we think about all of creation. All of God's creation exists and lives in the now. Except you and me. Most of the time, we spend our time existing either in the past or in the future. And instead of right now, worried about how this thing happened to my past or all of this kind of stuff, or what about tomorrow and all this kind of stuff. Instead, the Lord just says, would you just focus on right now? Forget about the past and let me take care of the future. Just focus on right now. You've probably heard it. I love it. It says, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds my tomorrow. And we just simply need to walk in obedience. Follow where he guides, where he leads. Peter, again, as he's doing this, what a, a beautiful example and picture for us. Again, he didn't understand what was going on. He didn't even, he didn't even fully embrace that it was real. He wasn't rescued because he says, God, I got this whole thing figured out. I get where you're going. I got this. No. <laughs> he just followed. And guys, we're not going to understand it all all the time. And as a matter of fact, as we follow and we simply obediently follow, we can avoid what oftentimes happens, and that's to misinterpret what God is doing in the now. We don't get it. 
You say, God, why are you doing this to me? And, or what, you know, it, again, going back to the boat, when Jesus was asleep in the boat, they woke him up. And they said, Jesus, we're perishing. They weren't perishing. They weren't close to In that boat, at that time, it was impossible for them to die. Do you know why? Because Jesus was in the boat and he said, we are going to the other side. We are going to the other side. That means we are going to get to the other side. And we spend again, we're just like them. Jesus is saying, you're not going to perish, this is training. <laughs> and, and we spend so much time again worrying about this. If you're a born-again believer in this room today, you can't perish. You can't die. Your life is, you have eternal life. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And as I'm going, I'm coming back to get you. You know what that means, guys? We are guaranteed a spot there. He said it. And he purchased it. Our freedom, we have it. And we miss it so much of the time. And we get so caught up. And, oh, Lord, whatever, whatever you're doing, it's training. Notice, too, he wasn't rescued because of his faith. He didn't say to the angel, it's about time you showed up. I've been waiting for you. He didn't understand. He didn't even know it was what was going on. So he must have been saved because of the faith of the people that were praying in the prayer meeting. Let's go look. Verse 13. When he knocked at the door, so again, he, the angel leaves him. He goes to this house where he, pro he figured out people are probably gathered together there. He knocked at the door of the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. That means totally blown away. But, mo but motioning to them with his hand to be silent... He described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and to the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Now the James there is not the James we talked of in verse 2. Peter obviously knew that he had gone to be with the Lord. This is referring to Jesus' half-brother James, the author of the book of James, an early leader in the church in Jerusalem. But here we see again, Peter wasn't saved because of the amazing faith of the people in the prayer meeting. <laughs> Peter shows up to the prayer meeting. God could get him out of prison, no problem. Peter had a heck of a time getting into the prayer meeting. He's standing at the gate knocking, and this girl, Rhoda, servant girl, comes, and she recognizes his voice, and instead of opening the gate, she's so excited, she runs in and says, Peter's outside. And they're like, shh, quiet, we're praying. Well, I'm telling you, Peter's outside. Peter can't be outside. He's in prison. That's why we're praying, duh. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, he's outside. And they're like, well, it must be his angel. Like, that's no big deal. <laughs> the, the idea of, the, of a guardian angel that was there or whatever. And so, again, not the amazing faith of the people inside, which blesses me. I don't know if that blesses you or not. But God works in spite of our lack of faith sometimes. So many people get hung up on the guilt and, people, and others put the guilt on them that says, oh, God's not answering your prayer because you don't have enough faith. God answered that prayer. We see how much faith was behind it. 
Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, move, and it will. But guys, don't, faith doesn't move mountains. God moves mountains. And, and the size of our faith isn't the question. It's the, the object of our faith. Jesus honors even weak faith if it's faith that's placed completely in him. And we see this amazing thing that takes place. He shows up there. They're embracing him and so excited that, that to see him. He says, tell James and the brethren what took place. And then he left and went to another place. We're not told what that other place is. Peter, with one exception later on in Acts, kind of moves off of the scene in Luke's recount of what takes place. The shift is going to go to, to Paul and his ministry journeys. He goes, certainly, because we're going to see, there's, you know, they're going to go looking for him. So he, he moves on. Now, verse 18, it says, When the day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers. Probably not. <laughs> As to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. That is because the law said at that time, if you were responsible for a prisoner who got away from you, you served their sentence. So here we see that Herod's intention was to execute Peter. He has these soldiers led away to be executed. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. So Herod now moves from, from Jerusalem area up to Caesarea. We've talked about this beautiful coastal place. Now he, Herod, was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord they came to him. So there must not have been a big group of them if they all got in one accord. <laughs> and I said it out loud. And, <laughs> and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. So during this famine, again, we said this is the time of that famine that is going on, Herod was providing food for this region. They did something to upset him, so he cut the food supply off. So that's why they come to visit him while he's there, trying to make amends for what's going on. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, and Josephus tells us that this apparel that he's wearing is woven completely with silver thread. And when the, Josephus, speaking of this morning that we're looking at now, as the sun's rays first came upon him, he was shining and glowing as he's speaking. Having put on his royal apparel, he took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Here we see in this little section Herod dealing with the soldiers and God dealing with Herod. Again, we see, guys, God's sovereignty. God is the one in control. Going back to the very beginning. Herod thought that he could control the situation, but God's in control the whole time. We've seen, we've seen him as our comforter. We've seen him as our provider, our deliverer. Here we see him even as the avenger, the one who will judge. 
Psalm 73 speaks of the, the idea that we all probably wrestle with from time to time. How come all of these people in the world who, who hate God, who are just living for themselves, they seems like nothing ever happens to them. They get everything that they want. Nothing, there's no problems with them. And Psalm 73 goes on, until I came to the sanctuary of God, then I saw their end. I understood what lies before them. If they don't repent, God takes care of all of these things. Guys, we never, and let me restate that, never should take vengeance into our hands. Ever. God says he is our avenger. He is our protector. He is the only one who is qualified to do that job anyway. All of our judgments are tainted. His are perfect. His are holy and righteous. And we leave that to him. We look at this, and again, I want to focus back in on the, the truth that God is our deliverer as we close. Because we see this in this, in this story here about how God delivered Peter from the situation that he was in. And we can all ask those questions, why? Why, why did he deliver Peter? Why didn't he deliver James? I don't know. And we can all make that personal probably. Why did God heal this person and not this person? Why did that person get this job and I'm still looking? Why does all of these, and I don't have an answer for that other than God is sovereign and he has a plan that goes way beyond us. His thoughts are way beyond ours. His, his plan and design is way beyond our comprehension. We all want the formula. We all want to know what they prayed in that meeting, right? I want to know what, what they said, because I want to say that when... But guys, there isn't a formula for that. There isn't. We bring our petitions to the Lord... And again, remember then, the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have that peace that regardless of what his answer is and how he deals with it, we can have peace in the midst of it. But I do want to focus in now on something that there is a formula for. There is a formula for our absolute deliverance, our complete and total deliverance. See, all of us, every one of us, are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us are in bondage to sin and face only death ahead of us, eternal death, punishment, separated from the love of God, facing the wrath of God forever. But the formula is this, Hebrews chapter 2, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. It's interesting when we look at two words at the beginning of that. First, that word is share. Since we, since the children, that's us, all human, humankind, share flesh and blood. Share, that word means fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. It means that we have something in common with one another a very different word than what it speaks of next. He himself likewise also partook. Very different word than share. Partook means to take hold of something that is not naturally yours. 
See, we by nature are flesh and blood. Jesus by nature was not. So he had to become one of us. He had to step off of his throne, become one of us, to live a perfect, sinless life. Perfect, without blemish, never sin. Follow the law completely and perfectly, love perfectly, and then take that life and sacrifice it on our behalf. On the cross, shedding his blood, his perfect, innocent blood on our behalf. And then three days later, rising from the dead. See, guys, we cannot have eternal life without resurrection. And we cannot, there cannot be a resurrection without death. And there could not be death without him becoming one of us. That's the formula. And we, he went through it completely for us, all of it, defeating our enemy, setting us free, absolute and total freedom. I mentioned a moment ago that, that by nature, we are flesh and blood. He was not, so he became like one of us. By nature, he is divine, we are not. But Peter says this, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. The formula, guys, doesn't just free us from the penalty of sin. Yes, it absolutely does that. It frees us from the power of death over us. But it also frees us from the power of sin over us. So regardless of where you find yourself today, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can be free today. You can be free from the penalty of sin. You can't fix it yourself, but the formula has already been worked out. You just simply need to receive it. You need to go before God in your heart and confess that you're a sinner and confess that you have no way to fix it yourself, your understanding of that, and, and then you receive Jesus as your Savior. He comes into your heart and into your life and washes, your, washes you clean and makes you, makes you righteous with his righteousness that he gives to you. But for the rest of us, as believers, I'm challenged by this again myself this week. How much do we fall short of walking in the absolute victory that we have over sin in our life? Guys, sin has no more power over us. We've been freed of that. We have been delivered from it. But we need to walk in it. Paul says it's for freedom that we've been set free. It's for freedom that we've been set free. That sounds overly simplistic, but it's not. Absolute freedom. Total freedom. As we prepare our hearts for communion and in worship here in a moment, during that time, will you allow the Lord to search you? To reveal to you if there's any, anything in your heart that needs to be dealt with? Any sin that's holding on to you still? you're a believer here today your penalty has been paid but will you own it today 
if you, if you struggle with lust, if you struggle with greed, if you struggle with bitterness or anger, you can be free of that today, right here, right now. Because it's our, the formula's already done. You just need to own it. We just need to walk in it. Would you stand? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we worship you for who you are. We give you all the praise. Because, Lord, we look at this and we understand that our situation was hopeless. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But you demonstrated your love for us that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. If you're here today and you've never accepted that free gift of salvation, you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, and you want to be free, you simply go before him in your heart right now and you say, God, I am a sinner. And I know I deserve nothing but punishment, nothing but your wrath. But Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you took that penalty for me. I want to be free. I want to be free from sin. I want to be free from guilt. I want to be free from the shame. So would you come into my heart right now and wash me clean? Cleanse me of all of my sin. Give me this gift of eternal life. I want to follow you from now on. And Lord, we thank you for that gift that you have, you have freed us from the penalty of sin, but Lord, you've also freed us from the power of sin. So, so now as we worship you, we ask that you would do a work in us again. Do a work in our hearts right now. And if there's anything that is not pleasing to you, Lord, we confess it, we repent of it, and Lord, we stand in the power of your deliverance. You are almighty God, and whom you set free are free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. As we, as we worship, the ushers in a few moments will distribute the elements, and as they do, as the trays go by, uh, take the cups, make sure you grab both the breads in the bottom cup, the juices in the top cup. Falling on my knees in worship.